Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. W is for wisdom. That word in English is a little ambiguous. It gets used in various ways in different contexts. But in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word hachma has a very uh, specific meaning, and it really will help us understand some important passages in the Old Testament if we know what the word hachma, wisdom, means. By the way, a, a hakam is a wise person. I'm going to illustrate the meaning of this word by seeing it in a couple of different passages in the Old Testament. The first one is in Exodus 31. God has just given Moses instructions about building the tabernacle. This is, this is its size and shape. This is the furniture that's to go into it. And these are the materials that you're to use. And then in chapter 31, he gives them instructions about who's to build this thing. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God and ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. That word ability, used up above of Bezalel and down, beho- uh, down below of Aholiab and the other men, and, and those aren't specified, that word ability is the Hebrew word hachma. It refers to a very high level of skill. It can be used about, in this case, a craftsman who's going to work in metals and wood. And and imagine, I'm assuming that these guys started out with skills in that area. But then he says the Spirit of the Lord is upon them to give them special ability. These guys must have been absolutely at the top. And that is hachma, that kind of skill and ability to do anything. In Isaiah chapter 40, he's talking about the kind of people who foolishly get involved in idolatry. And in verse 20, he says, He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. That term, skillful craftsman, the adjective skillful is hachma, a skilled craftsman, somebody who is very good at what they do. You can do that now. Think of hachma, skill, that may be in craftsmanship. It may be a jeweler or a carver, or it may be a musician, someone who plays a particular instrument that has hachma, just incredible ability and skill. Um, any uh, in writing, in speaking, someone has hachma if they have special uh, skill and abilities to do that thing. So in the Old Testament, we get what is called wisdom literature. That is a genre, a, a, a class, a type of literature that was prominent 
in Old Testament times and not just in Israel. We have examples of wisdom literature from Egypt and from Babylon and from other uh, areas, countries, peoples around Israel from the same time. It was an active genre of literature. Uh, Phoenician, we've got a bunch of it. It, it, uh, so that word hakma refers to both physical and material work, but here's the kicker. It also refers to skill at living, to people who are, see, we'll talk about wise. That guy has wisdom. That, what we generally mean by that is that guy makes good decisions and he has skill at life. If we are faced with a tough call, I talked last night with a guy who owns a business here in the city of Eugene, downtown Eugene. And he's got to make a decision whether to fold that thing up or expand it. Fold it up because it's an area of the city that is plagued with homeless people. who uh, There's a high crime rate and all kinds of problems. On the other hand, it, it's so far been a promising business. He's stuck in the middle. And he's, he asked us to pray that he would have wisdom to make a good decision. Should he close it up and pour his energies into a couple other establishments that he runs in better parts of the city? Or should he build this up and trust that at some point the city is going to deal with this problem here? He needs wisdom that's skill in living. And in this case, to make a difficult decision. There is then this uh, body of literature in the Bible and outside Jewish wisdom literature outside the Bible, and wisdom literature in Egypt and and Phoenicia and these other areas that is addressed primarily at this issue at skill and living. The word hakma and hakam are used 159 times in the Old Testament. 39 of those times The word appears in Proverbs. That probably won't surprise you if you're at all familiar with Proverbs. You know that there's a lot of talk in there about wisdom. But would you have guessed that the majority of occurrences are outside of the book of Proverbs? Now, some of those are like the ones we just read that refer to special skill in craftsmanship or something like that. The vast majority of them, though, refer to skill in living. And once you drill that into your head, then you start reading some of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament with with a a better ear. You you hear it and understand it better. So let me give you an example. In Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of skillful living. That's, that's how it translates literally. And the same thing, that's Proverbs 1.7. The same exact words are repeated in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hey, you want to have skill in life? You want to make good decisions, wise choices, skillful choices? You want to conduct yourself in a way that is smart and good and leads to good ends? It starts with the fear of the Lord. Now, obviously, in this 
Um, in this context, that is not a fear of trembling and, uh-oh, I'm going to get hurt. Um, it is a fear that is awe and respect and worship and submission, and that is the beginning of skillful living. Huh? What's the opposite? Are you thinking about a verse that is the opposite of that? How about Psalm 14.1? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The same thing. Proverbs 53, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why? Because all of life is theocentric. Uh, Rick Warren's first line in his book, um, it's not about you. This is all about God. He is the creator and the sustainer. He determines all things by the power of his will, uh, Paul says in Ephesians. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the creator, the sustainer, and the consummation of all things. And the sooner we realize that, the better we'll be at getting through life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you're going to live like a fool. And that word fool, obviously, is the opposite of wise. You're going to live like an idiot. You're going to live like a fool. You're going to make bad decisions unless and until you recognize God as the center of everything. That's good stuff. That's a sermon in there someplace. Now, let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. This is going to be a familiar passage, probably for the vast majority of you. Proverbs 3. 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with hachma, with wisdom? The second half of the second verse. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. That is a word picture there. It describes someone um, walking from point A to point B. And the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And the person who takes a wandering serpentine path is just foolish. That makes no sense at all. You're walking further than you have to. You're taking longer than you need to. The skillful person walks a straight line. But more than that, this is an agricultural word picture. The man plowing his field. If, I, if, if you put me at the wheel of a tractor and I was told to plow that field, it would be a hot mess. It would look terrible because I have no skill at that. Now think of a guy walking behind a donkey or an ox in the Old Testament and walking and guiding that animal in a straight path. He is a skillful um, farmer. Here in this verse, when it says, he will make straight your paths, that word, um, that word picture there is of the farmer who can plow a straight and efficient and skillful path. And that takes us to 1 Timothy 2.15. I said 1 Timothy, I should have said 2 Timothy, of course. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay, we got to clean up a mess here because the King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
and that has become a trope for too many dispensationalists, rightly dividing. Divide up the Bible into its respective dispensational periods, and if you don't do that, you are not skillfully handling the word of truth, and you should be ashamed. So only dispensationalists are not ashamed. They have no need to be ashamed because they rightly divide the word of truth, and that's not at all what that means. That is the same wording used in the Septuagint of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that says that you uh, skillfully, you correctly walk a straight path. He will make your paths straight. You will walk an efficient, correct path. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses the same word that is used here in 2 Timothy. It's not rightly divide. It's, as it says in almost every version, done since the King James in 1611, it says rightly handling or correctly handling or skillfully handling. It has nothing to do with dividing it up into dispensations. It says if you uh, are, are reading the Bible carefully and attentively and correctly handling it, skillfully handling it, then you have no need to be ashamed. Let, let's, let, just don't do that anymore, okay? If you've, if you've been guilty of using 2 Timothy 2.15 that way, why don't we stop that? Okay, wisdom uh, allows us to correctly handle life, to, to live skillful, efficient, good lives, not make stupid decisions that lead to trouble. And the first step in wisdom is acknowledging that there is a God, that he is sovereign over all things, that he is the creator, the sustainer, the Alpha and the Omega, no matter what else you do, you're going to make a mess of things if you don't start with acknowledging God as God. Once you do that, then you can move on from there. Um, I look back, it's been a long time since I actively parented. I'm still a parent, but I'm not parenting anymore. I spend a lot of time thinking about when I was parenting. I see other people, we attend a church that demographically, I think I've mentioned, I think demographically, the average age is maybe upper 20s or very low 30s. There are so many little tiny kids. The preschool department is exploding. Um, and, and there are, <laughs> it seems like every week there's a new baby born. It's wonderful. I love it. Uh, and, I th and I see all those little kids and I think about how much I enjoyed being a parent. However, I look back and I don't think I did a very good job. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, who does, huh? I, I suppose there are some people that, for whom it comes naturally. It did not for me. And I was too harsh. Have you seen the bumper sticker that says, because I'm the mommy and I say so? That was my overriding principle. Do this because I'm the dad and I say so. And, and therefore, behave which means do what I tell you to do. Now, I don't think I was capricious. I don't think I said random crazy stuff just for the sake of giving commands. I think most of the commands, the instructions I gave were good and proper. Um, and, and I think 
As I look at my, my boys today, I'm so proud of what my sons have become, the kind of men, the kind of husbands and fathers and workers that they are. I'm proud of that. And I'd like to think that that is a combination of God's great grace and that generally speaking, my instructions were on target. However, they were the Mosaic Law. Let me explain what I mean by that. Last Sunday at our church, the sermon was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, beyond that, uh, the ceremonial law and the civil law, are God saying, because I'm God and I say so, here are ten things. Do these or don't do these because I'm God and I say so. All of those ten things, every one of the ten, is good and right and righteous, and we are well served by doing them. But he doesn't give an explanation. He doesn't say, here's why I want you to put your clothes away when you take them off, or put in the hamper, as the case may be. Here's why you should pick up your toys at the end of every day. I said, pick up your toys, put your clothes back in the closet or wherever they belonged. It was because I'm the dad and I say so. Now, there are good reasons for that. However, the Mosaic law is because I'm God and I say so. The wisdom literature is the same things, but it's the why. And I did a lousy job as a parent of explaining the why. Would it have been easier for my sons to be obedient to those instructions if I had explained to them, this is why you should put your clothes away when you take them off. This is why you should put your toys away. This is why you should... I think, frankly, I think some parents go overboard on that. I think there's a place for the, for the Mosaic Law in parenting. Because I'm the, sometimes there isn't time. Sometimes the explanation, the why, is above their, their ability to comprehend at that age. The instruction is important, but the why is beyond their ability to grasp. And so there is a place for, because I'm the dad and I say so. However, I think I would have been better off very often, and I think they would have benefited if I had explained more often, this is why. And that's what wisdom literature does. It says, these are the same things that God said back then. I'm God and I say so. But let's talk about why. Let's talk about the outcomes. One of my absolute favorite passages for doing that is in Proverbs uh, chapter 6. And, and the reason, one of the reasons it's a favorite passage is because there is, there is a word that's worth 20 bucks. One word. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verses uh, 6 and following. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Isn't that a great sluggard? That, you, you, have to, you have to sort of land on that. You can't read by that quickly. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Wise, there it is. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O oh sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. 
So there is a passage that says, Hakma, that says skillful living is being industrious. It's a good work ethic. It's working now, even though you could rest, work now because winter is coming. I can remember, can you remember reading a, a children's story in school, like one of the very early second grade or so, about the ants and the grasshopper? Uh, and and the ants were industrious, and they're running around all day long working. And the grasshopper, who was who was wearing a houndstooth vest and a straw hat and carrying a bamboo walking cane, and he says, "Why are you guys working so hard? It's a beautiful day. Let's go and play." And they say, "Because winter's coming, and we have to get ready for it." Ah, no, you're worried about. It. Don't worry about it. And they kept hustling. And you turn to the last page of the book, and the grasshopper has got snow all around him, and he's He's turned his collar up in a vain effort to stay warm, and the ants are down below with a fire and all kinds of good food. And you can't have children's stories like that now because it's too scary and it might worry the. But you know what that story is? That story is Hakma. It's wisdom. And I don't know if it was intentionally whoever wrote that story, but it is straight out of Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. Why? Be industrious. Why? Because it's wise living. Because hard times will come, and then you will be prepared for them. Winter is coming. Get ready for it. Work now while you can. Or or the proverb, make hay while the sun shines. That's hakma. That's wisdom in living. And that is good stuff. Okay, so go back to the Ten Commandments. All of those things are hakma. And you can, you can find their parallel in the wisdom literature of Proverbs. The fifth proverb, the Sabbath day, take a day for rest. Now, Paul says, don't worry about what day it is. One man um, chooses this day, another chooses that day. He never says, don't worry about taking a day of rest. A Sabbath predates the Mosaic law. It goes all the way back to God and creation. Why did God instruct that Israel observe the Sabbath because he knows they need rest. That is wisdom. And in Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, it's because I'm God and I say so. But when you get to the book of Proverbs, it, it talks in terms of wisdom of living, and it says, this is why. That's the value of Proverbs. Uh, in, in the Ten Commandments is don't tell lies. And in the book of Proverbs, you realize, uh, wait a minute, I should not tell lies because, as Proverb tells me, people won't trust me. They won't listen to me. They won't put any credibility into what I say. And that's not wise living. We have this genre of literature called wisdom lit that talks about skillful living. It gives the why. If you do this, this is the outcome, whether it's a positive or negative outcome. The goal then is to teach us what's good in life, and what will help us advance. I was, I was going to say what will help us prosper, but I want to get rid of the financial, the profit motive there. Lord, give me neither wealth nor poverty, because if I have wealth, I'll forget you, and if I have poverty, I might complain against you. So, moderation in all things. Moderation in all things. That's hachma. 
Okay, I've done a really bad job of budgeting my time here, and I realized I was likely to do that when I started this thing. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. Part B is, frankly, going to be pretty short, but we're just going to wrap up a few things about wisdom literature because I want to keep this one, each part, a reasonable length. Well, this one's going to be reasonable. The next one is going to be unreasonable short. But that's okay. We'll deal with it. Come back for part two. Thank you.